It's it's uh, it's like uh, cod liver oil. It's still good for you. <laughs> Our rants are good for you. They may not taste good going down, but when they get inside, they'll work some work yeah. on that conscience and that I've mindset. Never been compared to cod liver oil before. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty, welcome in, boys and girls. Another fine week, Alabama politics this week. I am Josh Moon, and as always, joined by <laughs> David Person. Glad to be here. That's right. It's a uh, it's a it's another fine week in uh, in this lovely state that we reside in. Uh, you know, I, I'll say. Uh, a much much warmer week uh which is is to my liking uh it's not it needs to be about 25 or 30 degrees warmer um really oh yeah 100% i i, I wow. have not yet started looking outside and sweating when i look outside so oh man that's that's how i like it i like it hot i got my windows open it's what 59 what is it 50 right. oh 65. well it's 66 degrees yeah, now yeah, but yeah that's a it's, it's a nice day open. It's a yeah. it's a pleasant day. I don't like pleasant. Yeah. I like hot. I like it to be hot. <laughs> Love it, man. Go to the beach. Go to the pool. Hang out. Ain't no problem. Uh, you know, it's uh, go to the river. Ride around uh, on the boat. Let's uh, do a little fishing. Uh, okay. Mm, okay. Yeah. Looking How forward to it, man. Uh, you know, listen. I got a. I have a lot of inner good redneck qualities. Okay, so that's. <laughs> Sometimes oh those, so, sometimes the, the good redneck slips out of me every now and then, you know. And, Man, uh, that's so. You know, I'm laughing, but you know, the reality is, I never use that word. I really? just see it as a pejorative. I don't use that word. I don't. Uh, I know, don't call people rednecks, man. Well, there are some rednecks out there, uh, and it's uh, you know the. And I understand. I understand what you mean. I understand exactly what yeah. you mean. And I think that a lot of times, uh, you know, redneck is is used in a way to uh, denigrate uh, working class people. Um, yeah, working class white it, people. Yeah. It shouldn't be. Um, yeah. Well, I don't. You know. I don't use the term redneck. I don't use the term white trash. Even though I have been around white people when they have called other white people white trash, which right. I just think is like, wow, really? Okay. Well, there's you know, a lot of white trash people out there, my man. I mean, it's, well, uh, I mean, listen, know, it, it's I, not about it's not about your income. It's not about where you live. It's not mm, about all any how you look or how you dress or anything like that. It's about your actions, you know. And and that to me is what defines a trash person is the actions, not the right. You know, that. Which and so, I'm, I'm, okay, I'm okay with saying somebody is trashy or acting like trash, but but my my thing is always why do we have to. You know, whether it's a white person, black person or somebody else, why do we I think the telltale sign is when we feel like in order to describe mm. our disdain for them, to really describe it and emphasize that we have to include their race. What does yeah. their race have to do with their character? Absolutely nothing. Yeah. I, but yet yeah, we do that. Right. You're you're right about that. You're right. It does, it doesn't. And I I guess maybe uh, when I thought about it, it was more of a descriptor than it was uh, necessarily a knock on anybody. It was you know this this white trashy person uh, over mm. here was uh, was doing this. But I understand what you're saying. And and, and listen, wh- whenever I use redneck, I mostly use it in a in a joking, um, uh, you, you know, self deprecating or something. Yeah, self deprecating in a way. Okay. Uh, and, you know. Uh, it just, you know, I, I'm just talking about like, you know, the fishing, the NASCAR, the, I mean, you know, the, the pickup truck, the whole thing, you know what Southern. I mean? It's, yeah. yeah. 
that's yeah. Uh, but although I don't, I don't know that you could really say pickup trucks are are redneck uh, anymore. I mean, not anymore. Know. They're, I mean, no, they're like, all there's over one the next place. year coming out next year. Chevy's got one coming out next year. It's a hundred grand. So, uh, <sighs> whoa, yeah, yeah. wow. You know, it's a high, you know, the high country deal is is a hundred grand. Uh, but wow. listen, I I don't I don't think anybody joined us for. Uh, pickup truck talk. <laughs> We're not the car guys. I call but honestly. I, let me just say one more thing though, because I think this is this sort of mirrors what you're talking, what you were talking about. So Chris Rock has this routine that he did, where he talked about how he he loves black people, but he hates n words. And I'm not going to say the word because I don't generally use it. Uh-huh. And he um, and and his whole thing was really about the very thing that we were talking about, this sort mm-hmm. of classless behavior. Right. You know, so, okay. My thing again is, so then why did we have to put that in a racial connotation? If you're classless, you're classless, whether you're black, white, male, female, gay, straight, whatever, we don't have to put those other descriptors on there because that doesn't have anything to do with your being classless or not. That has to do with our own internal biases in my sure. mind. But anyway. Sure, I think it does. I think it does. Well, and it goes back to the, uh, you know, to the, to the, I guess the, basically the origins of the country itself and, and how mm-hmm. we have always divided things on race, whether you be, mm-hmm. you know, white, uh, um, you know, native American or black yep. or, you know, Hispanic. Yeah. And it was, uh, there were all, these were the, easily easy to determine conflicts you know it's not kids growing up playing cowboys and indians you know what i mean it's Mm. these are the conflicts that were ingrained in us as as kids i mean maybe not so much now which is really freaking out a lot of conservatives that we've you know pushed aside some of those today they renamed mr potato head and the amount of rage over a potato shaped (laughs) toy that that a lot of people are going to go to bed with tonight are just off the charts i mean really uh it's uh uh yeah god help them god bless them you know but uh no i understand exactly what you're saying it's uh yeah um it's it it is but i do i do sometimes have you know redneck tendencies i I just yeah not all the good ones though it was all the good ones (laughs) i'm sorry i don't uh i don't know a better way to describe it all right i I mean what 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 would be a better way for you to describe it but what i'm talking about i would just say i would just say uh, southern I would just say Southern. I mean, you I know, know, NASCAR know. is primarily a Southern thing. I think, there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of Northern rednecks out there. Okay. Well, I'm not, I mean, I I'll understand you what you're saying. Yeah. I'll tell you this. I have a few, I have a few black redneck friends. So, Oh, uh, sure. I, yeah. I know what you mean. I know what so, you so mean. That's what I'm saying. So not necessarily yeah. a race thing, more of a class thing than, than a race thing. I think. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. but you know, uh, I'll, t- I'll tell you though, uh, no matter what uh, what race or redneck or black or whatever that you want to use, uh, there's some people going to prison uh, in the very near future uh, in this state. Uh, I, it's one of the things I, I wanted to, to talk about uh, today, and that is the the arrests or the indictments uh, over the uh, in the last week of uh, six people and the virtual school. Uh, mess that had gone on. I reported on this for a while. Uh, two uh, superintendents from districts in, in North Alabama and Athens and Limestone County, right side by side, were basically pulling the same scheme. And that was uh, the two uh, superintendents were Trey Holiday and Tom Sisk. Uh, Holiday from Athens, uh, Tom Sisk from uh, from Limestone. Also, Holiday's wife and the guy who was a principal at former principal at Athens High School and the guy that was running their virtual programs there uh, it went to Britt Carter went to jail or 
was indicted. Sorry, hit nobody's gone to jail yet. Um, and then a uh, former coach from Marengo County, uh, who was running a consulting company. Another guy uh, who was a former teacher is running a consulting company. They're all uh, indicted in this mess as well. And so the scheme was this: uh, you had the virtual school law that was passed. I'm going to say in 2015. Uh, that was one of uh, Dick Brubaker's uh, big laws uh, that, that he pushed through in the legislature and, and got behind. AEA supported that bill, and for good reason. The idea behind the bill was is you had a lot of people leaving school districts like Montgomery, for example, and it was causing those districts in, the, in those towns to lose a boatload of money. Uh, because kids were leaving them, going to private schools, going to you know, homeschooling, uh, and so they were they were losing a lot of money. The idea behind the virtual school bill was is if you could lure those kids back into classes, even if they were virtual, you could then receive state funding for those kids to come back in as though they were going into classrooms. So you wouldn't have to actually put them in the classroom, and you would get the funding for them, which would really help out a lot of struggling school districts. So, good intentions aside, uh, as I told uh, uh, Mr. Brewbaker the other day, uh, you know, good in- a lot of good intentions have been done pretty undone pretty quickly by people with bad intentions, and that's is what happened in Athens yeah. and Limestone County is they they essentially set up consulting companies uh, for these schools. Uh, Trey Holiday's wife Deborah allegedly set up a consulting company, uh, and then uh, Corcoran and Tut. Uh, also set up consulting companies, the coach from Marengo County and the, and the former teacher from Tuscaloosa. And their goal was to go to private schools, mainly in the Black Belt region, and tell these private school uh, folks there if they would work with them, uh, allow their kids to be duly enrolled at Athens or Limestone County, they could receive certain incentives, including a portion of the funds uh, for those students that would come from the state and things like laptops and other equipment uh, that would go to those schools. And so that's what they did. Gave uh, Limestone County, for example, gave 100 and some odd computers, uh, laptop computers to private school kids uh, in South Alabama for joining, allegedly, quote unquote, their their virtual school in Limestone County. Uh, Those kids never actually attended anything. Uh, It was all a fraud. It was all a scheme. They never, a lot of them, uh, uh, U.S. Attorney Lewis Franklin said, had never been educated a day in their life at a virtual school uh, up here. They had no idea what they were doing. They fabricated report cards. They fabricated student addresses. They fabricated transcripts. Um, It was a a mess. I mean, the whole thing is... Uh, is a, is an absolute mess, and there's going to be more of this. There's going to be more. The investigation is continuing on into this, and there's going to be more people who are indicted out of this thing. Well, what I what I find, I mean, there's a there's a lot. There are a lot of reasons to be appalled by these allegations, but but one, but two things that come to mind immediately as I as I watched the U.S. Attorney talk uh, earlier this week, as I read the reporting that you did. Uh, the extensive reporting that you did and others, mm-hmm. you can't help but but think this is another example of how white privilege plays out when it comes to people who have the opportunity to exploit black people and poor people, yeah. regardless of race. 
And I say white privilege in particular because I think that even though all of the children exploited by this, meaning in other words, the children who were deprived of resources and opportunities by these schemes, they may not have all been black. They may they were probably white children as well who were adversely affected by this. But I believe that it's that traditional mindset that says, you know, children in the black belt, we can we can exploit them. Children in certain sections of Limestone County, we can exploit them. And and that's just um and, and I think the people who are alleged to have done these things, if I'm not mistaken, I think all of them are white people, white educators, if I'm not mistaken. But even if they aren't, even if there were some black educators who had done it, it still to me smacks of of, uh, a a privilege that uh, is born out of the traditional uh, white privilege kinds of mindsets and attitudes that we've seen in this country. And I think it's appalling. Whether the victims are black or white, it's appalling. And, um, and I, and I hope, and I, and I believe based on not only what I saw from what the U S attorney said, but from reading your reporting, Josh and others, that they really have the goods on these people. Yeah. They yeah, really they're, they're, must they're, have the goods on these people. They're in real trouble. Uh, and I'll tell you, you know, what gets me and I had a conversation with somebody, uh, oddly enough, in a, at a high, high level of government in this state, uh, about this and, and we were both of the same opinion. And that is, let's take Trey Holiday, for example, who had went and earned a doctorate. Um, his wife was was gainfully employed uh, at, the, at the same school system that he was running. Everybody liked him. Uh, he was a likable fellow, uh, you know, was was in the uh, entrenched in the state retirement system. Um, yeah, he was a superintendent earning $250,000 a year. Um, why? You know, that's what gets me is what, what level of greed do you need to, to possess that that's not enough for you, that that's not, that you can just go to, go to work every day and say, man, I'm making, I'm living a top 1% life, especially in Athens, Alabama. I'm living a top 1% life here. Quarter of a million dollars a year. Yeah. I mean, Plus. in Athens, Alabama, quarter million yeah. dollars a year in Athens, yeah. Alabama. You know what I mean? And, yeah. And, and what 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 level of, of greed and selfishness must you possess to rob kids? Because that's what you're doing. You're taking mm-hmm. money out of, out of public school funds mm-hmm. here that's robbing kids and robbing schools and robbing teachers. Mm-hmm. What level of selfishness do you have to possess to think, God, I need a little more. I'm going to come up with a scheme where we're making up report cards and transcripts and, uh, you know, and, and doing this whole fraud thing with these people. What, why, what, what yeah. drives that? I just can't wrap my head around that. Yeah. I, you know, if it's pure greed, that's, that's especially abominable, but, uh, but you know, it could also be that, uh, as with a lot of Americans, people, regardless of their income levels, they're not budgeting. They're not doing the things that, you know, the, you know, the fundamental yeah. things perhaps that you should be doing. You get in over your head and you need a way out. But I don't care what the reason is. As you said, you know, the crime does not justify uh, 
uh, the you know any 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 motivation you know it just doesn't matter. Uh, no, there's no motivation that justifies the crime. The other thing that I want to say about this, Josh, is that it's also reprehensible. I think that the way that you decide to concoct your scheme is in such a way that in all likelihood, people who are, again, in a position of privilege, Mm -hmm. meaning the people at these schools that are benefiting, that are getting the laptops and and whatever else they allegedly derive from this, that they're the ones who are benefiting. Yeah. Okay. So, again, you have people with privilege who are uh, exploiting people without privilege and then as a part of their exploitation scheme, they are allowing other people with privilege to benefit. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's as filthy foul as hell is yeah. what it is. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, imagine, you know, you know, as well as I do that there, there are kids in Limestone County uh, that, that don't have laptops. Mm-hmm. So, so, I mean, just imagine, just wrap your head around the, the guy, the head of Limestone County schools, Tom Sisk at the time, mm-hmm. sending taking laptops away from his students his own and sending students. them to private his schools. His own students. That's yeah. right. So, I mean, it's and just... That, it, and see, that's what a lot of us were concerned about, Josh, when there was this move, and and, and, and I can't remember exactly uh, the the whether this was a... Uh, I think it was a piece of legislation that provided for... Uh, uh, and you can probably help me out with this because my brain is foggy on it, but... Uh, the piece of legislation that provided for public money to be utilized or for private schools to to benefit from public dollars in other ways. Oh, the AAA. Okay, is that what yeah, it was? Yeah, the Accountability Act, the Alabama Accountability yes, Act. Yes, yes, yeah. there it is. There it is. Thank you. Yep. That's yep. it. And see, we had concerns then. Many of us had concerns then when that whole thing was developing and eventually passed about what impact that was going to have on public schools. And that was of course legal, but now we've got this other, again, same to me, it's all part of the same spirit is what I'm trying to say. The Mm -hmm. same spirit or mindset that, uh, that led to that is the same spirit and mindset that would have a, a, a system superintendent depriving his own students for the benefit of private school students. There's yeah. something that's to me very morally despicable and nefarious about that whole thing. Listen, there have been no shortage of people over the years, um, particularly in one particular party, um, that have tried their every way imaginable to get their hand on the pot of money that is the education trust fund. All right. For, for them to get it for the, just to figure out any way whatsoever to, to reach into there and to send those public dollars to private, you know, corporations or individuals or however they can do it. You know, they did, they, they did, they took a big chunk out uh, with, with the Alabama accountability act that they passed in the dead of night and the budget and the uh, bill rec- reconciliation process. This bit, let me tell you, if somebody ever wanted to know how crooked the Alabama legislature is, particularly the one that's been run since 2010 by, by Republicans, uh, go back and look at the way that bill was passed. They passed two bills in the House, one in the House, one in the Senate, and then there's a process there to reconcile those two bills, right? Mm-hmm. They went into that process 
and crafted a whole new piece of legislation mm. in there. I mean, it completely changed both bills and and then came out and and passed it. All right. It was it's the most insane thing. It, you know, they sued him. And of course, you, you're suing and trying to get Republicans to, uh, to you know, and, and judges to say that Republican legislators did the wrong thing. And, you know, basically they said what they always say is we're not getting into the legislature's business. Uh, but it, it was it was, you know, one of the biggest farces you'll ever see and, and, and should have been criminal. But uh, it, it has done criminal things to uh, the to the schools in this state. Uh, I'll say that. And, um, you know, I, I just when you look at it overall and you look at what is going on here, um, it I don't know what more needs to happen for school teachers, uh, school administrators, um, everybody that, that is associated with schools to get back on the same page. And either join the AEA or make it known that you're going to support that. Even if you don't support them financially and you don't want to do that, you don't want to give to the union, but let it be known that you're going to follow the AEA's lead uh, when it comes to, uh, you know, how to vote, uh, you know, political issues and that the, the things of that nature. Because at this point, uh, we have got to figure out a way to, to get better oversight of the schools. Uh, we've got to figure out a way to get better funding and better programs for the schools. And we've got to figure out a way to make it more equitable around the state uh, here. And we're not, and it's not happening with the people that are in charge. As they spent the last several months uh, villainizing the teachers uh, because, you know, they didn't want to go to work and die. And, mm. and it's become a, a big, huge problem for everybody. Uh, you know, they're still doing it today uh, because, you know, it was a problem because parents have, couldn't send their kids to school. And trust me, I understand that. But at the same time, I'm not asking somebody to go to work if, if their colleagues are dying all around them, as was happening in Montgomery, where 10 educators died in the course of two months uh, out of this, most of them from complications from COVID. I mean, when mm. you see that happening, how in the world can you then vilify the teachers that are scared to go into that environment? I just, I, I've exactly. never understood it. Exactly. But, We've got to figure out a way to get people back into this and to make those teachers uh, and those school employees uh, a bigger, more dangerous voting block. Because you saw what happened in Kentucky uh, there when they started trying to mess with their retirement and everything else. Those teachers banded together and voted out the Republican guy in a heavy Republican state. And now life is so much better for all of them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that's my rant for today. Well, you're entitled to at least one. Yeah. At least one, and you know we we both have a we both have an obligation. I think to rant at least once per episode. I think. Yeah, I, I think so. I think it's, you know. Yeah. Listen, I, I think I think people enjoy the rants every now and then. You know. Yeah, I think it's uh, well, and if they don't, I mean, I'll just say you know, it's it's uh, it's like uh, cod liver oil. It's still good for you. <laughs> Our rants are good for you. They may not taste good going down, but when they get inside, they'll work some. Work yeah. on that conscience and that no. mindset. I've never been compared to cod liver oil before. <laughs> a a trauma from my life. childhood. Been compared to cods a lot, but not cod liver oil. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they were using it in the same context you were there. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> uh, 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 all right. If we, uh, I'll 
also in our legislature here this week, uh, and we, we, we'll do this real quick uh, and then slide out. But uh, we, the uh, uh, the transgender, uh, the mm. ban on transgender therapy uh, bill, of course, passed committee. I think we all knew that was going to happen. Um, mm. I, I, I'll I'll say I think there is enough um, private disgust of this bill. Um, even among Republicans, that it it may not make it to the floor. We, we shall see. And even so, I have I have a lot of suspicions that it will not make it very far in the uh, in the in the Senate. Uh, so, well, but we we shall see. Um, in addition to that, uh, no excuse absentee voting. Uh, which was to the shock and dismay of many many people. Uh, supported very publicly by Secretary of State John Merrill. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think I have uh, suspicions of why he did that. Uh, and, and I don't think that they're all bad. And I think the bill is good. I, I don't, I'm not knocking the bill, no matter what, you know, what your motivations are or what you think about the numbers behind absentee voting. I think no excuse absentee voting, uh, if that is implemented, can be a great tool for you if you are interested in get out the vote efforts and getting as many people yeah. to the polls as possible or not to the polls, but to vote as possible. Uh, I think that no excuse absentee voting is a fantastic tool that you can use uh, if you're, ma- if you're making that progress there. And so um, I think that Merrill had two big problems there with this uh, that number one, he did the investigations into it and there was no fraud. They couldn't cite any fraud. And so right. he didn't have any, anything to fall back on. And, and number two, I don't think absentee voting hurt Republicans uh, in the last election cycle. I think it actually helped them. And so, especially in this state. And so I think that it's uh there was a no lose situation uh, for them on this, at least at the current time. Now, again, I think they've given you a tool to use here, get your votes out and, and use it. Yeah. No, I'm with you on that. I, I'm I'm definitely in favor of uh, no-fault absentee voting. Uh, it's worked well in other states, and, and I think it's a great tool to get more people involved and in the, in the election process as voters. So I'm, I'm for it. Uh, and, you know, again, I agree with you. It doesn't matter what Merrill's motivations are. I'm glad he's supporting it. Uh, as to the transgender bill getting out of committee, um, I, I'm personally disgusted by that mm-hmm. because again, I think what this bill uh, represents is very troubling on a lot of levels, not the least of which is just fundamentally, you know, government doesn't need to be involved in these kinds of decisions. I mean, this is something that should be between uh, a, a patient, uh, a doctor, and, 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 the, and the child's parents, not the government. The government doesn't need to be involved in that. But having said it, um, you know, you're right, it, it may not you know, it may not make it, uh, you know, it may not even make it to the floor. And if that's the case, that's great. Mm-hmm. If it makes it to the floor, I hope that there'll be some sort of an awakening or enlightenment that occurs so that it doesn't pass because it's a horrible thing to to put on families. And there's plenty of medical reasons that have already been cited. And, and you know, we've talked about it before and 
is presented to the committee, there are plenty of medical reasons and psychological reasons why this just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, you're going to kill kids. Uh, is what, yeah. what you're going to do. You're going. You're, yeah. you're literally going to kill children out of this. Yeah. Um, and and yeah. you're going to hurt. You're going to hurt. Uh, and again, vilify uh, people who are trying their damnedest to help them. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and that's all they're doing. The parents, uh, the, the doctors involved in this, all they're doing is trying to help these kids. Uh, you know, they have, they, the, everybody's intentions are good, yep. uh, here and they are not misplaced. And there are plenty of protections, uh, that have been put in place by the medical community to make sure, uh, lines are not crossed and things are not done that can't be later reversed. And, uh, and, you know, and, uh, because literally all they're trying to do is make it to where these kids uh, feel more comfortable within their own bodies, so they, they they reduce the likelihood of suicides and physical harm uh, that they're doing to themselves because they just don't feel like they fit in. And they and, and you know, no matter whether you understand that or not, it's not your business to understand it. It's, it's that's right. It's your business to to help and and promote and lift up the people that are that are trying their best to help people and to help them through difficult situations uh, the best that they can using the medical training that they have received uh, of the course of their lives. And that's what you're talking about here. And for them to sit in that room and listen to doctors tell them this and then devote it out anyway is probably one of the more reprehensible things that I've seen in a long time. And um, because it, it is, it's, it's them pretending like they have more knowledge uh, than the doctors and they, they have none. And that was pretty clear uh, in, in that room. If you listen to any of that. So, yeah. all right, I'll tell you what, we will slide out uh, here. Now uh, we got the guys from uh, faith in action coming in uh, mm-hmm. and they're going to, uh, to discuss uh, a, a SB 118. Is that right? SB 118. Yeah, SB 118. Uh, yeah, yep. that, that removes some of the restrictions uh, to, to former felons uh, being able to vote and uh, which is another very important bill. And, Oh, God bless him. I hope it goes. I hope it goes. Amen to that. Yeah. All right. We'll be back in just a minute. Alabama Politics this week. Hey, just wanted to take a second to uh, thank the AFL-CIO uh, for their support of the podcast here at Alabama Politics this week. And, Really thank them for all that they do for us and for the workers all around uh, Alabama. Uh, the Alabama AFL-CIO, which you can find at alaflcio.com. Again, that's alaflcio.com. Uh, go to their, their website. Uh, they, they do great work at, at helping you organize, uh, teaching you about the benefits of a union, uh, teaching you about how to how to go about filing grievances and everything else that goes with, with being a union member. And especially in this time, COVID-19 is so prevalent and, um, you know, a lot of workers are having problems with uh, precautions not necessarily being taken or getting relief uh, that they need because of wage losses and job losses. Go over there to the website, take a look at the reports that are there, take a look at the guidance that they have, uh, utilize some of those, uh, some of the fine people that are working at Alabama AFL-CIO uh, and, and take advantage of, of what a union can bring. Uh, and that's especially true if you're working at a place that does not necessarily have a union. Uh, I think you read, uh, read all about that with the, uh, with the folks working at Amazon currently uh, in this state, and you can see the benefits that kind of come along with being a union member. Uh, again, that's A-L-A-F-L-C-I-O.com. A-L-A-F-L-C-I-O.com. Thank you.
Welcome back to Alabama Politics This Week with Josh Moon. And of course, I'm David Person. And Josh and I have, uh, I think we have uh, been heating it up uh, for this, uh, you know, during the first segment of the podcast. Now we're going to cool down a little bit and bring in some rational voices and minds, you know, because, you know, Josh and I get worked up. We just, yeah, we get worked up. We're, we're out of control most of the time, but these, these two gentlemen are not, and they are representing the fine organization faith in action, Alabama. We've got Daniel Schwartz, the executive director of that fine organization, and also Jay Gregory Clark, who is uh, is with uh, Daniel, and we've got them on to talk about SB 118, uh, and a very important Senate bill that uh, Faith in Action Alabama is championing. And uh, Jay Gregory, I think, has a personal story to share that connects to that bill and the importance of it. So, Daniel, Jay Gregory, welcome to Alabama Politics this week. Thank you so much, David. Thank you for having us. Good to have you on. So, Daniel, uh, why don't we start with you just telling folks a little bit about, for those who may not know, uh, Faith Faith, uh, in Action Alabama is, I think, one of the most important organizations in our state. But there are people who may not know who you are and what you do. Why don't you tell us about it? Well, David, again, thank you so much for for inviting us to to participate. Josh, thank you. So. Faith in Action Alabama is a faith-based community organizing organization. Um, Our mission is to honor God by dismantling systemic racism to create pathways of opportunity for all Alabamians. And our focus is on helping to to build grassroots power so folks at the grassroots level can um, advocate for policies and be architects of policies instead of objects of them. And so we are in, we have over 40 congregations that are involved with our work in Um, Huntsville, Birmingham, Montgomery, and Mobile. We move local work as well as state campaigns. So we're here to talk a little bit about our state campaigns today. Um, Just just some of our work locally, um, our grassroots volunteers over the last several years moved a campaign to help create a public defender's office in Mobile County. So again, this is how grassroots power, they were listening to the community, we were listening to the community, and then this, after a lot of work, our our volunteers were able able to secure this. And in Birmingham, um, we played a, a key role in, in leading uh, UAB Hospital to uh, implement or beginning to implement a proven anti-gun violence strategy. Um, and Jay Gregory, who's our uh, uh, voter rights restoration campaign community organizer, has been playing a really the lead, the the lead role on, on on our staff in terms of moving our work. Because of the name, a lot of people may automatically assume that faith. Uh, is referring to just the Christian faith. Faith in Action Alabama covers more than just Christian denominations, correct? Right. We're a, we're a multi-faith, multi-racial organization. So the, the Jewish community, the Christian community, the Muslim community, Baha'i, Christian, et cetera, are, are part of our organization. And we also consist of uh, folks in the, in the, in the African-American community, in the white community, uh, yeah, those are those are the core constituencies. But we're about eighty uh, percent African American in terms of our volunteer base, twenty percent white or so. Right. I don't know how y'all get anything done without hating somebody. I just don't. I don't. I don't understand. <laughs> I have enough baggage as it as it is, so I, I, I realize that whatever I say is going to certainly come back at me. 
Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hate, hate seems to be the preferred motif these days. But, uh, but then again, we're getting away from that, hopefully. Uh, yes. Uh, shout out, by the way, to uh, Stephanie Strong, my friend Stephanie Strong, who is the the organizer for Huntsville in North Alabama. Very dynamic person, has been doing a marvelous job up here for you guys, Daniel. So now let's talk about SB 118. And Jay Gregory, maybe you want to jump in here. Tell us about SB 118 and why this is an important piece of legislation. Well, SB 118 makes it easier for formerly incarcerated individuals to vote. It's important because there are people like me who have been incarcerated uh, completed their sentence, come home, uh, begun to contribute to our community, and we yet we still don't have a voice in governmental affairs or the way that business is transacted in our community. I've been working with Faith in Action uh, since my release from prison in 2017. I began working on the anti-gun violence campaign. But, of course, you know, last year there was a big get out the vote for the general election and different uh, uh Hubs of Faith in Action were working on that campaign, and I was involved in that as well. I got my children involved because I felt that it was important for them to understand the value of citizenship. Um, while working at one of our Get Out the Vote uh, rallies, uh, my daughter asked me the question who, who I was going to vote for. And I had to share with her that I can't vote for and I cannot explain to you the look on her face when she knew what I had been doing since I'd been home in terms of civic engagement, in terms of working in the community, trying to uh, improve our community. She knew how important it was, you know, that I had shared with her that she should vote when she becomes voting age. And so when I told her that I couldn't, the confusion on her face was, was heart stopping, just to be honest we began to take a deeper look into what it would take for people like me, people who uh, have served their time and are contributing members of society to restore their right to vote. And we had a bill drafted. We had this piece of legislation drafted, which primarily accomplishes two things. It reduces the financial roadblocks for people like me to vote. Right now, Alabama law says that all fees, fines, court costs, restitution, all of that must be paid uh, after completion of sentence in order for someone even to be eligible to get a, to register to vote. Well, our position is that uh, victims' restitution must be paid. We agree with that. But court costs, fees, and fines should not be a, a roadblock to someone voting. Uh, it's not like letting them vote is going to nullify the, the, the debt. They will still owe the debt. They will simply be able to, to vote while they pay it off. And so that's one thing that SB 118 accomplishes. The other thing that it accomplishes is uh, that it asks the Secretary of State to notify those who have become eligible to vote that they are eligible to vote, which is not something that uh, the state is doing right now. And there's a lot of miseducation out there about who is eligible to vote and who is not. Uh, a lot of people who have felonies believe that just because they have a felony, they can't vote. When the truth of, of, of it is that, according to Alabama law, there, there's a list of disqualifying convictions. And if you haven't uh, been convicted of one of those crimes, then you're eligible. So 
we ask that the state notify those who have become eligible in our bill. And we don't feel like these are unreasonable uh, requests, David. We feel like these are very reasonable. And we've gotten some bipartisan support along the way. We had a lot of success last legislative session, but COVID-19 sort of suspended the session and, uh, and, and, and pushed our bill to the, to the back. We've come back this year and made it out of the Senate Judiciary Committee again. And our bill is currently on the Senate floor being debated. We feel very strongly that we will gain support for our bill because again, we're not asking for anything unreasonable. The bottom line, David, is that anyone who has completed their sentence and is contributing to society deserves to have a voice in what's going on in their community. It's really just that simple. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I sit in on the, um, uh, the panel uh, a few years ago with, uh, with John Merrill and uh, they had some lawmakers and they had uh, the DA uh, organization, I believe. Is that uh, Matson? Is that who that is still? Barry Matson? Uh, and, uh, you know, and, uh, I'll say this, uh, for, at least for, for Merrill's point on the thing, I think I felt like he was willing to do more than, than they were on the, on the committee and several lawmakers were as well, uh, who were on there. Um, but y'all, you got the pushback from the DAs who always want the punitive action and they want to be able to hang their hats on, you know, oh, we punished these criminals and we did this and we did that. But there, there was never a good explanation, uh, that I heard for, why fees from court are tied to a, a constitutional right to vote. If you've served your time and you are free and clear of the system, except for these these fees, and I understand exactly what you're saying about the Victims Restitution Fund. I think that's part of the punishment that comes with the, with the crime. But the, the court fees, and especially the court fees in this state, are excessive to the point of of, of absurdity. And I'll tell you, there's a lot of judges that would be on your side if you made that argument with that because they're tired of handing out these fees. Um, I guess, how willing do you feel like, or have you approached the, the DAs or the judges or anybody on the law enforcement side of this that are always the obstacles to this type of, of legislation moving forward? We have actually had several uh, positive conversations with the uh, law enforcement and former law enforcement. Uh, we've We've talked to the Jefferson County DA about this bill. We've talked with the uh, Jefferson County Sheriff's Department about this bill. Uh, we've talked with the Speaker of the House, uh, McCutcheon, Speaker McCutcheon, uh, who is former, who was retired law enforcement. And he seemed uh, very open uh, to reviewing our bill and, and giving it some real consideration. Uh, I made to him the same points I made to you, and, and he seemed to feel like they were not unreasonable. Uh, uh, we've also gained, as I mentioned before, bipartisan support in the Senate. Uh, former Senator Cam Ward uh, championed our bill last legislative session before his, his move over to the Board of Pardons and Paroles. And, and many of you may know he is a, a conservative uh, senator. But um, because we're not asking for anything unreasonable, I, I think that we'll, we'll have, continue to have uh, positive conversations uh, with law enforcement. Because when you think about it, uh, Josh, the best way to integrate someone into a society is to make them feel that they are fully a citizen. And so long as they don't feel that they're fully a citizen, then it's more likely that they will revert back to heinous acts that, that defy you know, the social structure. So, so we want to be as inclusive as possible. We want to say, hey, 
if you're out here and you're contributing to society, you're raising your family, uh, uh, you know, you're paying taxes, whatever, then come be a part of the social justice system, you know, please. Because the more included you feel, the more likely you are to continue to build our community. You know, I think something that, um, well, a couple of things that, that Jay just said um, that are really important is one is uh, through, through the work of the State Senate Judiciary Committee, this bill was passed on a, on a nine to one vote. So you're talking strong bipartisan support in the State Senate Judiciary Committee. Um, I think also getting back to what Jay Gregory was, was saying, um, it's so important that, that we are welcoming people back into our, welcoming, welcoming people back into our community. You know, David, you were asking, you know, when we say Faith in Action Alabama, we're talking right. across faith lines. We're talking Christians, Jews, Muslims, Baha'i, uh, et cetera. All of our faiths are about second chances. And that's really what, you know, what, what we are focused on. You know, and we're also talking about a fairly large segment of our population that's impacted. Over 8% of Alabamians cannot vote. Voting age Alabamians cannot vote because of uh, particular felony convictions. You know, this, this bill that we're trying to put forward is looking is really based on honoring the faith value of second chances and trying to strengthen democracy here, here in Alabama. We are a stronger community, the more of us that can actually vote. Um, and I think we, just another thing to, to look at, of course, this is all impacted by our, our criminal justice system. And we have the fifth highest mass incarceration, uh, incarceration rate in the country. You know, mass incarceration is one of the greatest threats to democracy here, here in Alabama and throughout the country. Yeah. It, you know, I, I was going to say, I, I, I feel like, um, you know, when, when you look at this and you see what happened in Florida, uh, for example, um, so much of it is not based on right and wrong. Uh, you know, so so much, so many people know what's right. They they know what's right here. They know the arguments that y'all are making. They're one hundred percent accurate. They can't really argue. But it breaks down on on race and politics. Uh, you know, I, and I think more so race to get to politics than anything else. Uh, just just because they believe that the mass incarceration has happened mostly in the African American community, and the African American community it votes Democrat most of the time. Although I, I will say we've sent enough Republicans to jail here lately that maybe they're starting to change their thinking. Uh, but um, it's not quite uh, enough. I, not quite enough, right. uh, Josh. But we're we've started. We're off to a good start. Uh, uh, at least we, in Alabama, we, anyway. Yeah, if we, if we just worked on lawmakers, uh, we, you know, we would. Uh, <laughs> maybe you should include that in the bill. If you're a former Republican lawmaker, you can also get, receive your right back to vote. It probably sail through. Uh, but how do you how do you overcome that? I mean, how how do you how do you get past just the purely political nature of what this is? Well, and, and I think Jay Jay Greg and I were very involved with this last year, and I'd love to in a moment maybe for Jay to talk even more about this. But what I have seen is when grassroots folks go in to engage legislators without coming in with all these different types of credentials, but but regular folks sitting with legislators and being able to talk about this issue. And then when someone like Jay Gregory is able to share his story, this, 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 this becomes real. And that's, that's the power of grassroots organizing is when you're getting regular folk to be engaging legislators or the governor um, or city officials. 
this is this is this is the power and I, maybe I'll, I'll turn over to Jay because he, he's done some really powerful work with with volunteers around this issue and and I might add Josh that at the end of the day we're all regular folks every yeah. one of us needs a little great every one of us needs forgiveness every one of us needs another chance uh, even even the Republicans that we've been sending to prison, they they need another chance <laughs> right about now. If you insist, if you insist. <laughs> when, when you make that point that we all need a little grace, we all need a little mercy, it, it becomes universal. It, it it you know, we can get beyond the politics when we begin to address the needs of the people. And the needs of the people are that they have a voice in their in the community that they work so hard for. Anyone who's contributing, and, and that's all we're asking, is that anyone who's on the street, contributing to society. If, if, if you're out in the community and you're contributing, you should have a voice. You're a member of our, you're a citizen. And we, we want to be treated as citizens. Jay, I'd like for you to talk a little bit about uh, just your story. Because as I listen to you, Jay, and as I look at you here on Zoom, I realize that you don't fit the stereotype that I think has been conjured up and promulgated by a lot of people about, uh, well, black men generally, and then specifically uh, black men who have been incarcerated. Uh, Tell us your story, man. I'd like to know. David, I I, I am am educated. You know, I went to school. Uh, I I did finish uh, my high school diploma and have have some college education, uh, but I got involved in substance abuse in my early adult life, and it was horrible. I, I don't know any other way to say it. I, I, you know, my God delivered me from uh, something that I can't even comprehend. To just be honest with you, and it it, it changed me. It made me a more uh, violent person. It made me a more unreasonable person. Uh, my struggles and my addiction uh, led me to do some things that I, to this day I regret. Not just me, but it hurt everyone around me. When I came to grips with uh, what that was in my life and I found the power to overcome it you know, through my faith, it was at that point that I began to understand what it meant to give back to a community. All the years that I was free before incarceration, I had not really given back to my community. It wasn't, David, until I went to prison that I really understood uh, what it meant to give to your community, even under uh, the worst circumstances, even behind incredible odds, even behind enemy lines, as, as, (laughs) as they would say, because there were some of us who would pray and preach and give and share and teach regardless of who was listening and, and, and what was said about us. And it was there that I really saw the power of God work. So when I came home, uh, Josh, it was important for me to get to know my neighbors. It was important for me to uh, contribute something to my community so that I would add value to the place where I live. I live in West End. I live in the West End of Birmingham City. Uh, it, it, it's got one of the highest murder rates in the country. But I would walk the streets at night uh, with like-minded people trying to influence our community for good. And it worked. We saw changes. We saw dope houses shut down. We saw uh, people 
uh, uh, people's lives transformed. We we saw someone who was going to commit suicide turn 180 degrees in the other direction and is now volunteering at a soup kitchen feeding other people. I mean, these are the places where we are able to witness the power of God, but it only happens, it only happens when we have a chance to do that. So as I needed another chance, I've made it my business to try to find ways to allow other people to have those same chances, because that's what it's gonna take for us to make the world what we want it to be and not just what we see every day. So with the, uh, assuming that SB 118 passes, will you personally then be able to vote at some point following that passage? Not, not necessarily. Uh, I do have, uh, I do have serious convictions and, and there is a process. Uh, we have not uh, asked for uh, everything that it would take to, ha- to help someone like me vote, but we've gotten a good start. And, and, and we've gotten a foothold for enough people like me that it can make a difference in our communities. One thing you got to remember is that the only people who are going to vote are those who want to vote. So, so just because you change the law doesn't mean you all of a sudden empower X many people, you know, X group of people. It's only going to be those who really want to contribute to their society, who really want to have a say in, in the way things are going. So, so um, you know, for someone like me, it may be a process, but it's a process that I'm willing to see through to the end. Well, I think it's, uh, I mean, the whole thing is, is, is fantastic. Uh, I mean, you know, just to, the, the, the move back to this, because you're right, the, there's no better way to get people um, focused in community, uh, community work and, and being uh, contributors to their community than through uh, civic engagement like this. And, uh, you know, is that, is that particular piece does does that resonate well with with the lawmakers? Does that do, when, when you talk to them and, and talk about this as being a reform, uh, a part of the reform? Does that resonate well with them? Yes, yes, it does, Josh. I think when we're talking about this is about strengthening community. This is about if people if people are being welcomed into into their community, we're making it less likely that folks who are form, that that have been involved in criminal justice system are going to recidivate. Um, so this this is this is a tool to help reduce crime, uh, to reduce recidivism, um, and it's again to strengthen our own our own democracy. The more folks that can that can vote, the better. We also know, know that more people who are low income across race lines are going to get trapped in our criminal justice system. I'm very fortunate. I, I have I have I've lived with comfort because of because of my family and because of privilege that I have. Um, there's that there gives that gives me a great cushion. There's many people across race lines that that don't have that, and it just it, it, it creates scenarios that make it more likely they're going to get they're going to get ensnared in the criminal justice system, which then leads them to lose their vote. So we we end up getting close to means testing votes, and we and we and we should not be doing that. Um, and what we're really looking to do is again, this is about second chances. Someone someone like Jay Gregory, someone like. Carmone Owens and others that that we work with, who are who are who who are out in the community. You know, if they're if 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 we we should be welcoming these individuals back, 
going to make us a better a better state. Yeah, yeah, and would and would encourage many more. Uh, you know, would it would encourage so much more of that, and and probably, I mean, you know, honestly, if you have. Uh, if you have somebody like uh, like Jay Gregory out, you know, walking the streets at night and and engaged in that, how many how many people is that preventing from winding up in the in the criminal justice system? You know, I mean, this it's a whole cycle uh, at this point, and and it, it's a shame. I hope it doesn't get broken down into politics. Uh, you know, like so many things do. I, I guess I would also just like people who are listening to this podcast. Please call your please call your state senators right now. That the vote could happen at any moment. Be, the debate started a couple couple days ago on the floor, and we're not clear when the vote will happen. But please call your state senators. Your your states. Let me be clear. Your state senators who serve in the in the state legislature. We're not talking about senators Shelby or Tuberville. That we want people to contact their state senators to support. Please ask them to support Senate Bill One Eighteen. That's great. This is great. Uh, I just want to, uh, Jay Gregory, I want to say to you personally, man, um, I'm very familiar with addiction, very familiar. Uh, I've got uh, a history of, uh, there's a history of addiction in both sides of my family. And uh, in fact, one of my cousins and one of my uncles uh, uh, both uh, fell prey to crack addiction. Um, and both were prior to that, both had been very successful people. Uh, in fact, my cousin had, uh, an honorable service, uh, in the, uh, in the military. My uncle had been, a uh, doing, a uh, a business, had a business and had been successful with his business. Um, both of them fell prey to crack. And their lives went down the tube, but they came back. They found their way back. And faith was a part of that. But, you know, I'm not I'm not here, even though I am the official chaplain of the Alabama Politics This Week podcast. I'm not here preaching. What weird. I am that saying, didn't fall to me. That's weird. <laughs> what I am saying is uh, however one finds their way back, whether it's through faith or some other mechanism, people can make it back. And people can, many of those who make it back, if we, if we create the right support system and if they have a good family system around them, not only can they make it back, but Jay Gregory, they can do exactly what you're doing, you know, which is contribute to society in ways that will pay off in, in the long term, as Josh was uh, suggesting. So I want to thank you for the work you're doing, man, and encourage you and affirm you to keep doing what you're doing. And, uh, and I want to also thank Daniel for mm-hmm. seeing in you the ability to make this tremendous contribution that you're making. And thank you so much. For- I would have to be blind, but anyhow, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, uh, it is, it, it, everything he says is true. And it's, uh, it's, it's great work y'all are doing. You know, I said before we came on, I, I don't know how you, you managed to, to keep banging your head against the wall every day, uh, other than it's, you know, just the, just the money, just the extreme amounts of money that we're all making doing this uh, <laughs> head banging. Uh, but it's, um, I mean, really, and I, I think everybody knows I'm being sarcastic about that, uh, but uh, it, it is what you're doing is, is, is good work. And, and I hope, I hope that, uh, that the good intentions, uh, 
you know, every now and then, good intentions uh, slip past the uh, the Alabama State Legislature that's typically there to block it like a goalie. So maybe this one, uh, maybe this one slides through there, and and you guys get get the bill passed. But uh, we really appreciate you coming on and and taking the time, and uh, and maybe we can get some folks to to call up uh, the to their state senators and uh, and and get this thing moving. Right. Thanks for having us. Yes, sir. Yeah, Thank glad you guys. to have you with us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, David and Josh. Appreciate this opportunity to talk about uh, Senate Bill 118 and, and the work we're doing to help try to really highlight the importance of second chance. Thank you. Absolutely. It's, uh, we're going to slide out uh, here now. We'll come back, wrap this thing up, and then uh, and, and, and finish up the show. But, man, that was that was really great. Thank, thanks a bunch, you guys. Uh, we'll be back in just a minute. Alabama Politics this week. Hey, everybody, just wanted to remind you, if you would, take a moment and go to your favorite podcast destination and leave us a nice review, if you would. Uh, Also, don't forget to rate us if you get a chance. Uh, That would really, really help us out a whole lot here. And, uh, you know, maybe we could earn some money off this thing every now and then. Thanks a lot, guys. Alrighty, welcome back, uh, Alabama Politics this week. Ready to uh, wrap this baby up for another week. Um, yeah, it was good. Good, good chat with the uh, Faith in Action guys. There, it was. Uh, uh, you know, Jay Gregory, man. I hope. Uh, hey, he's doing good yeah, work. Yeah, man. Uh, That's a good dude right I there. Just, That's a good dude. Yeah. I mean, not to say Daniel's not. Oh right, no, no, absolutely, yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. They're both great uh, guys, but I'm just. I was especially impressed with Jay Gregory uh, when he was talking about walking the streets of his community at night to try to avert crime. I mean, my God, most yeah. of us don't have the courage to do that, man. You know, yeah, if, no, if, if you're, uh, you know, it just people, you know, I mean, God bless him, man. Just God bless him. Yeah. That's the guy. That's the guy that you definitely won't vote. Yeah. Uh, you know. Yeah. Yeah, he he knows the problems. He knows the uh, he he sees the people involved. He knows what works, and especially at the local level. And uh, that that guy can't vote is a is a travesty. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I tell you this uh, over the um, and we were going we were going to talk about this because I wrote a column about it. Um, and and that is um, just the last year here. You know, it's been tough. Been a tough year. You know, this is this this weekend here. Uh, a year ago was really, uh, I think, probably around the first time that a lot of us uh, came to understand what the severity of coronavirus could be. Um, you know, and I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think it's this around was around this time a year ago when we had the first death, um, uh, and you know, and. And Trump came out and and said that they were doing everything and everything they could that was possible, and that don't worry about it. Everything was going to be fine. And uh, now, four hundred and ninety nine thousand more later, uh, deaths later, uh, you know, we're uh, and more, uh, we are, uh, you know, at at an unimaginable death toll at this point. Uh, and uh, and you know, a year that has been essentially lost for. Uh, for school children and a lot of workers and families who've lost businesses and loved ones. And uh, I mean, it's just, it's been a terrible, terrible year here. Um, And and we've discussed it a lot, you know, on this podcast and I've written a lot about it. And, uh, but uh, 
you know, there have been a few bright spots. Um, and there have been people who have stepped up and there have been uh, sources of, of good in, in places that sometimes you didn't expect and, and from, from people that you, you know, you didn't expect. And I, you know, one to me, and I'm, and I've meant to write something about them a, a long time ago, uh, actually, but it, th- this past week gave me another reason why. Uh, and that's ASU, the people at ASU, Alabama state university, um, and what they've done. And I mean, from all, I mean, literally from early on in this, they decided, uh, with Quentin Ross as the president and, uh, the folks there that were running their health department and, uh, it just, they were going to do things. They were going to be forward thinking and progressive and, and, uh, take this on using science and they weren't going to, it was going to be a community effort and they were going to do everything that they could, uh, you know, to, to kind of tackle this thing. And they have done far more at ASU than even the Auburns and Alabamas have done. I mean, you look at their, their system for testing students and faculty and stuff. It was far more advanced and far more open than Auburn and Alabama even attempted uh, there. I mean, I understand ASU is a smaller university, but at the same time, what they were doing, it would have worked at those levels as well. Uh, you know, they, they went out and contracted with techno, uh, technology companies to put in uh, full body scanners, uh, five full body scanners on campus. Uh, you know, it, and it was just, and then this past week, uh, you know, there there are many other things that they've done, including a lot of community work that has really, really helped. But this past week, part of that community outreach uh, you know, that they've really struggled in Montgomery public schools to uh, to go back to in class, in-person learning uh, there and because of the death rates and the death toll that has taken place uh, in that school system. Um, and, you know, they had, like I mentioned earlier in the show, they had 10 deaths inside of two months recently, had four deaths in a 48-hour period prior to uh, them shutting it down and going back all virtual. And so... They, they decided at that point they were going to shut it down until all of their teachers could be vaccinated. And at that point, there was no plan to vaccinate teachers. Uh, teachers hadn't even come up on the tier level yet to, to receive the vaccines. Uh, and, and so they, you know, there was a question about how they were ever going to be able to get this done. And then along last week came ASU who said, send them over here. And we have a we have a vaccination site on campus. We have a, you know a lot of these vaccines here that we're vaccinating our staff and and uh, stuff here and and some of the local community. We'll pledge eight hundred at least initially. We'll get them all. Va- we'll get all your teachers vaccinated here over the course of of time and do it much faster. And so that's what's going to happen. And I mean that, that sort of service to a community is really outstanding. Um, and I. I just, you know, I felt like at some point they should receive some recognition for what they've done and and how they've approached this thing. I want to applaud them because I think, uh, first of all, you know, and I can say this because I am a graduate of an HBCU and I also did some graduate work at another HBCU. So I claim Oakwood University and Alabama A&M University as my alma maters and I'm very proud to be associated with both of those institutions. But I also have to say, as an HBCU graduate, HBCUs, unfortunately, don't have the best track record of community involvement and of being innovative in a way that has 
implications beyond the traditional academic kinds of uh, possibilities, you know, with grants and that sort of thing that, you know, I'm talking about things that will impact a community that will transform a community. And in many cases, and ASU is certainly an example of this, HBCUs are in communities where the people that surround them are reflective of the population uh, and the legacy of the HBCUs. So I applaud them for being innovative and for being community-minded and for trying to do something that will have uh, a transformative effect on uh, the black community there in Montgomery and the community that ASU is in. Final thing I'll say, Josh, is that this is... This sort of approach, you know, is, I think, very representative of what W.E.B. Du Bois uh, was conceptualizing a uh, hundred or so years ago when he talked about the talented 10th. He, he was of the mindset that, that uh, educated black people, black people who, while they were still black in America, had a measure of privilege because of education or because of their station in life, because of money that their family may have had or acquired or whatever, that that, that black people in those circumstances should be, uh, should be providing or utilizing that platform and that privilege to benefit black people as a whole. And, and HBCUs, because they are academic institutions, because they tend to be a repository of black uh, intellect and culture, should be at the front lines of that, should always be at the front lines of that. And it just hasn't been the case all the time. So I applaud ASU for this. Well, I'll say uh, that I'm probably a little, a little spoiled here uh, because my experience uh, with HBCUs has been limited to uh, to really two really, really good ones. Uh, and that is Alabama State University and Tuskegee University. Um, and, uh, you know, Alabama State University, I think, and, and it's, uh, again, not to take away anything uh, that they have done, but I think they do benefit from being in a place where, a lot of that community activism and things were uh, were were sort of forced uh, on them. You know, ASU in the in the sixties played a central role uh, in the fifties and sixties played a central role in the civil rights movement, and many 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 of their faculty members there were big uh, uh, participants and vital you know, factors in that. As a matter of fact, I wrote a long piece for, for USA Today uh, talking to an ASU historian and a couple of other people that had been there a long time about their role and about Levi Watkins, who was the president uh, during a lot of that time, about how he struggled um, you know, with with trying to maintain ASU as a, uh, you know, a state-funded university, but also take on the state 
uh, you know, and appease the faculty that were trying to take on the state and fight uh, for for civil rights and the way he he made that balance. And and so I think that there was there is there has been a longer history there of them, uh, you know, participating in those sorts of movements. But I, I think many people will also tell you that over the years that I've angered a lot of people from ASU by my reporting on things that have gone that has gone on on campus. And I think people have felt like at times that I have been too hard on them. I never felt that way. Of course, I, I thought, I just kind of thought we were, uh, you know, reporting what, it, what had happened, but, um, you know, so I, but I felt like it was important for me, for somebody who has been critical of what has gone on on campus and what has, what has taken place at times. I felt like it's, it's also important to say when somebody gets it right or, or when somebody not just right, but uh, above and beyond what they should be doing, you know, cause they could have done just what Auburn, Alabama and everybody else has done, you know, they run the students through a, a test here or there. Don't tell anybody anything that's happened and be done with it. But that's not what they did. You know, they, they partnered with, uh, the, the department of public health. They partnered with the Montgomery housing authority. They had a drive, they set up a drive through a testing site on campus for people who lived in the local housing complexes there, uh, with, you know, with partnership with the Montgomery housing authority. Um, it was what they have done and, and going out, and this, is, and this was the big thing to me. This is the big thing to me. The, the vaccinations in the local communities, especially within the housing projects, within the black community, is huge. I think, if, you know, I think it removes a lot of the hesitation and a lot of the the very, very earned and very, very understandable hesitation there uh, about this vaccine coming from the U.S. government when you when it goes through ASU and you have the historically black college there uh, coming to you and saying, "Hey, we're the ones administering this." I think it helps a lot of folks in the black community get over what what has historically been there in the past. And I think you'll get a lot more people vaccinated that way. Well, you know, I'll say that it, it will probably help. And, and, you know, I think there's still plenty of room for a very robust conversation about where we are with the vaccine process as opposed to where we should be and hope to be. But nonetheless, I think you're right. It will help. And um, and I think in the long run, I'll say, I'll, you know, I'll just, you know, my own opinion is that in the long run, that's a good thing in the long run. So, uh, you know, again, I applaud them for being innovative and I applaud them for for taking, uh, you know, a very active role in trying to serve that community, you know, and um, I you know, I, I, I wish, you know, I wish that, um, that, 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 that other, uh, historically black institutions and we've got about, uh, well, we've got quite a few in this state. I don't remember the exact number, but I want to say it's more than 10. Uh, I wish the others to whatever degree they could would follow suit and maybe they will, maybe they will in some form or fashion. Yeah, I, I think so. I, you know, I, I, listen, I think they've ASU's got uh, has great leadership there with uh, with Quentin Ross. Um, you know, I he's a, he is kind of an unconventional president, uh, but I felt like he was a guy that they needed at the time because of his uh, political connections and 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 mm. his his love for the university as well mm-hmm. uh, and his history there with it. I, I think that 
I think you don't get the sort of uh, community outreach that he has done there in his time as president uh, with a different president, especially an outsider who doesn't know the state and the, uh, you know, and the ties to the community that ASU has uh, like he does. And uh, I think that really helps. And a lot of those teachers, you know, that, that are coming for their, for their vaccines over there, got their teaching uh, degrees at, at, at ASU, um, you know, because that's, a, they've been a teacher's college for, you know, for years and years and years. And so it's a, uh, it all works together, and and I I I think it's just a, a a really good a really good story and a really good outreach that they're doing there, and it just is a uh, I just I just wanted to to mention it uh, before we before we got to our right wing nut of the nut of the week, yeah. um, uh, who uh, <laughs> uh, is a guy you know listen we we wanted to do our our right wing nut several weeks ago because. He earned it several weeks ago by getting himself suspended from Twitter, uh, then deleting his Twitter account and uh, and uh, and his whole involvement in this nonsense about you know the election fr- uh, fraud and everything else. And that is our our newest representative in this state, Barry Moore. Uh, and yeah. and Barry Moore this week has pledged his support for federal legislation pushed by Representative Bob Good from Virginia. That would, oh, and by the way, the legislation is entitled the Right to Earn a Living Act. Hmm. Uh, this, uh, in this particular legislation would punish states which implement COVID-19 lockdown orders. Hmm. Yeah, hmm. Uh, which I don't know if you'll recall or not, David, but his state actually implemented COVID-19 lockdown You orders. mean the state of Alabama did that? Uh, yeah, hmm. I, I just... Uh, and it could have had something to do with the, you know, thousands of people dying. Yeah, yeah, maybe, just maybe, just maybe. But, but I just, man, I, I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, just, I don't even know what to do with people anymore, man. I, this, this stuff right here. I mean, this. I can you? I just can't wrap my head around them. This is another one. I can't. I can't understand what. What are you talking about? Five hundred thousand people have died. What are you talking about? How are you still mad about this? How is this still a thing? Yeah, yeah. So to to make sure that I, you know, uh, that I'm clear on this, tell I'm gonna I'm gonna recite some of what I think is happening here, and then I want you to correct me if I'm wrong. So Uh they they want to they want to put in in place some punitive actions. you know, for state and local governments that institute lockdowns. But they're saying that they would still receive funding for COVID-19 testing and for PPP, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So then still, you're still going to get all that. It's still, it's still happening, but we're just mad that you're doing other things about it. Uh huh. So what, so what's the penalty? I don't, so what's the penalty then? If you're still going to get those things, what's the penalty? Uh, I uh, assume the penalty here is that they are going to cut off other federal funding uh, to your state. Oh, I see. Un- unrelated to yeah. COVID funding. So right. The, the, the other federal funding. Yeah. 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 So, so basically they're going to cut off uh, financial support from uh, coronavirus relief funds. So you'll still be able to get the COVID-19 testing uh, and PPP stuff. But you won't be able to get all the other funding that comes, you know, for the, you know, that that now is being proposed in in various bills. So you're not going to be able to get any of that stuff. 
So, yeah. so then how do they think the logic escapes me here? We're in a pandemic and, and they believe that the right response to a state. And these are people, uh-huh. by the way, that always say they believe in states' rights. Uh-huh, that a uh-huh, state, uh-huh. which has the right to implement its own policies to do what it believes is best for its people, you know, as long as it doesn't violate the U.S. Constitution or the, or the state's own constitution, they're saying, which a lockdown doesn't, they're saying that they believe that the right response is to actually make things even more difficult for the people of the state. By withholding right. funds, and, and indeed, that is that is exactly what they they're saying. And and I, I want to, I do want to correct you on one thing. Okay, though. Uh, they only believe in states' rights as it relates to racism. Um, so that's that's all the right as to long be racist. It's a racist. Yeah, right. the right to be racist. The right to be um, racist. That's uh, a great point. It yeah. it's it's so ridiculous, man. It's the the whole. Uh, these things you look at it across the country and you can see the in these states where they implemented these lockdowns how there was a direct correlation between the lockdown and and the fall of hospitalization and death rates i mean and almost every single one of them you can see this and not to mention the fact that this thing was you know there's still people dying we had 500,000 americans that have died in the last year from this virus and you're still out here doing this i don't uh, what are you complaining about? What what in in your head? What are you even talking about? I don't. It just doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, I I, I just can't. I don't know, I don't know what people are doing anymore. <laughs> I, it just doesn't make it doesn't make even basic sense at all. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. But again, when your mindset is, I think punitive, as opposed to progressive and productive. This is what you get. Yeah. yeah, I guess you're right. That's, you know, I, I don't know. I, I guess I'm trying to make sense out of things that, that make no sense and trying to uh, apply logic to people who are illogical. So that's, uh, uh, you know, that's my fault for doing that. That's, uh, you know, my, my bad. My bad. My bad. <laughs> yeah. All right. I think that'll do it for us. You want to slide out of here? All right. Yeah, let's let's do that. We'll we'll get out and uh, let you people go about your weeks, and uh, we'll we'll let you know what other idiotic things come about in the legislature over the next week, and uh, and hopefully hopefully every week maybe we'll be able to share one good story. We we gave you ASU this week. Maybe next week we'll come up with something mm-hmm. else. ASU and yeah. I think what faith and uh, faith in action is doing. Oh That's yeah, a good yeah. story too. Well, listen. So we gave you two this yeah. week, so you don't get one the- next week. So. <laughs> I don't, want you, I don't want you all sunshining, right. okay? That's I don't want you all sunshining. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Got to keep that level all of cynicism right. just at the right level, you know? <laughs> that's, right. that's right. All right. That's it for us. It's Alabama Politics this week. Uh, until next week, we're up. Peace. Peace.